Amen. All right, you may be seated. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Now, I've laid out a, a lengthy portion of Scripture here. I'm not sure we're going to make it all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9. Because I don't know what the Holy Spirit, how He's going to shepherd us, how He's going to cowboy this situation this morning. But the title of the message that I selected, I don't know if it's going to match what the Holy Spirit says, is Wise Up. Wise Up. I made, I made a statement last week that if I sat down with anybody in the congregation and told them what was wrong with me, that they would be able to fix me in five minutes. Well, let me back up. They would be able to give me the right advice in five minutes. The problem is it wouldn't matter. And I could tell them if they told me what was wrong with them and what, 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 what do I need to do. I could fix them in five minutes. But it wouldn't make any difference. It only makes a difference when the author of this book God the Holy Spirit is there taking his advice, taking his counsel, taking his worldview, and implanting it within us. But thank you, God, it doesn't stop there. God doesn't just give advice. He then is with us every step of the way. The Holy Spirit dwells within every single authentic believer to grant to us the energy to do and be what we could not otherwise do and be no way. Jesus says in John chapter 14, in the upper room, just before his arrest, to the apostles, the Holy Spirit who has been with you, they've cleansed lepers. They've healed the sick. God's stuff happened when Jesus wasn't there. But they were sent out, and they came running back. Jesus, Jesus, this is what God did. I mean, we cleansed lepers. We healed the sick. The gospel got preached. And, and Jesus said, yeah, I know. I saw Satan falling from heaven. Satan had to do an emergency jump from heaven down here because he's normally staying before the throne of God, Revelation chapter 12, accusing the brethren day and night of our sins. And he had to make an emergency landing here on earth to try to shore up his kingdom. I saw that. But that same Holy Spirit, he says in the upper room, who has been with you will be in you to do these things. Forever. Permanent resident. Otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, this would be Christianity, but would be nothing but failure and frustration because God would be giving us all the great advice and we wouldn't be able to do it. He doesn't want us to just look kind of better than the guy or the lady next door. He wants us to look like Jesus. What did he say in Ephesians 5.1? Ouch! Be imitators of God as beloved children. 
Can we say high standard? In chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, he says, walk in love. What will that look like, walking in love? The same Jesus that washed the feet of the apostles, and he gets around the, around the table to Peter, and Peter says, stop it. This is so wrong. This is a humiliation that you ought not to be engaged in. You are humiliated. And Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head. No, I just need to wash your feet. I need to. He is demonstrating for them what service really looks like. And then he says, and you need to wash one another's feet. You need to serve each other. The mighty God washes feet. Nero never washed anybody's feet. Vespasian never washed anybody's feet. Julius Caesar never washed anybody's feet. Pharaoh never washed anybody's feet. But the king of kings did. And so should we wash feet. Walk in love. Verses 8 through 14, walk in the light. You are children of darkness. You are governed by wickedness. And you are constantly barking your shins on stuff and wondering how come. Why do I keep getting all these negative outcomes? I think I'm doing what seems to me to be the smart thing or at least would be the smart thing for my friends. See, I can do dumb things. You ever notice this? We have, I can do dumb things, and I'll be the lone exception getting away with it. And yet I never am, but I don't take the lesson until God the Holy Spirit grabs me by the nape of the neck and slam dunks me into the kingdom and starts exposing me to the truth. And then I can actually take the lesson. I can follow the Holy Spirit's advice. Walk in the light. And now beginning in verse 15, walk in wisdom. Wise up. Maybe it was your dad or your mom or one of your sisters or brothers, maybe a good friend that one time said to you, wise up. Stop it. I remember when I was eight years old. You know what I thought? I thought when I was a little kid, I thought I had a particularly good skill, that I was a really good liar. I mean, I thought I was really good at this until I was about eight, and I told a bald-faced lie looking my mom right in the eye, and she looked me right back in the eye. She said, why do you always lie? And I'm like, what? She knows. I thought I was good at this, and I'm not. Wise up. Wise up. I won't say I stopped lying, but I worked on my skill, and it still never worked. People knew it. I could always tell when my, my brother was lying. He always would get this beautiful face on like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth 
And you, when he put that fate look on his face, when he adopted that, before any words came out of his mouth, okay, I know what's coming out now is not true. And he thought he was, like me, he thought he was really good at this. And he wasn't. I don't think I ever told him. That. Of course, I was, he was eight years older than me. I wasn't about to try to correct him. Walk in wisdom. See that you walk circumspectly. What does circum... Spectacles and circum, a circumference is the outside of a circum... Look around. Walk circumspectly. Be aware of your environment. See that you walk circumspectly, being aware of the reality of the environment that you're in. Not as fools, but as wise. That's why we led that lengthy portion from Proverbs chapter 8. Let's walk in wisdom. Let's listen to wisdom. Let's obey wisdom. Let's be empowered by wisdom to obey wisdom. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, buying back the time. You can actually make of your time here on earth something that is useful, that is glorifying to God, so that when you as an authentic believer stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that word, by the way, in 2 Corinthians, judgment seat is the bema seat, is the judgment for passing out rewards, not for inflicting punishments. redeeming the time so when you stand before christ he will say yes what you did gold silver precious stones that's worthy of reward that wood hay straw mm, not going to survive that fiery gaze of jesus and as the apostle paul says they will be saved yet so is through fire they won't have the kingdom reward they otherwise would have they didn't redeem the time They didn't make the most of the opportunity that God gave them. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We do live in evil days. The human race has lived in evil days since the fall of Adam. But even in this environment, God can make glory for himself. Therefore, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. Put your nose in the book, read it, ask God to make it clear to you. Pray your way through the Scripture. Have you ever noticed that you can sit down and read the Scripture, you can read a whole page of the Scripture, and then I'll say, wait a minute, what did I just read? Your mind has been over here while your eyes have been covering the... You may have even been saying the words but your mind has actually been somewhere else. You have to pray. And so I'm suggesting that as you read the scripture, be interacting with it in a verbal way and pray your way through the scripture. Lord, what do you mean? Read a phrase and Lord, what do you mean by that? Do it in a devotional way, not just reading the words because you'll find yourself, wait a minute, what did I just read? especially if it's a familiar passage. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And having understanding, you then do what it says in the, with his help. Is this a rudimentary message? 
Yes. Folks, if you don't get the basics right, nothing works. So I may be saying something that you've heard before. Praise God. I hope you've heard it before. <laughs> but we all need to hear it, including the preacher, again and again and again. The basics is where we succeed or fail. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. By the way, as Paul is writing this letter, he's under house arrest. As you read the close of the book of Acts, you have Paul in, under house arrest in Rome. That's when he wrote Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. They're called the prison epistles for that reason. And what's in his mind is he's thinking about this letter arriving in Ephesus. What is in his mind is not that they're going to make a copy and hand it out to every person in the congregation. They're not. What's in his mind is it's going to arrive there in Ephesus, and one of the congregation leaders is going to stand up and read the letter publicly to the people, just as John points out in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Blessed is he who reads, singular, he, singular, who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy. What was in John's mind is a man is going to stand up before, the before each of those seven congregations and publicly read it. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. So what is the picture? He's conceiving this as being read at the Lord's Supper congregational monthly, or excuse me, weekly meeting of the congregation. And so he says to them, and by the way, when they met together, it was wonderful. They met in people's homes. They didn't have buildings on street corners. This is the first century. They met in homes, and they would come together, and there would be a buffet table. It was a potluck, except it was a pot, pot sovereign. <laughs> There's luck. If you have luck in your in your vocabulary, Christian, throw it away. It's a devilish concept. It was a pot sovereignty dinner. Pete, the the ladies would show up with contributions. That the buffet would be set, and then the people would all go and fill their plates and they would sit down and they would begin with the cup. Excuse me, they would begin with the bread, broken body of the Lord Jesus. Then they would have their meal and while they're eating, they're praying, they're singing hymns and they're listening to three or four really good one-hour messages. Well, I don't know that for sure, but it was it was three or four. They probably weren't all one hour, but they were all. They're listening to the leadership bring forward the word. And then they would conclude the meeting with the cup. And so they're singing to one another. They're in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And but, but they've been to the buffet. There's, I hope I'm not offending anybody here, but there's wine. And so that's part of their meal. And he says, don't be drunk with wine, with spiritus fermenti, but rather spiritus hagias, the Holy Spirit. 
be governed by the Holy Spirit, not the fermented spirit, and speaking to one another in psalms, which, by the way, let me just throw this in. A psalm was a poem recited to the accompaniment of a musical instrument. So anybody that tells you you shouldn't have musical instruments as part of the worship of the church doesn't know what they're talking about. Okay, can we just say that? Moving right along. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Be encouraging each other, just as we've already done in our service this morning. making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Amen. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Washing feet. Washing feet. Walk in wisdom. One of the features of the ancient culture and becoming more and more a feature of our culture is that in, in Paul's day, in, in the Gentile world, marriage was an absolute disaster. Let me tell you about what, how children were treated. By the way, did you know childhood, the concept of childhood, that's a Christian invention? Children were just little people in the ancient world. And as soon as they were able to go to work, they, you put them to work. The idea of childhood, of raising up a child in a guarded environment where you trained them in a, in a safe way, that was a Christian innovation. That didn't exist in first century Roman world. Marriage was completely disastrous. In the third century, we still have the statistics, we still have the government documents from the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth centuries in certain places like Egypt. In Alexandria, Egypt, in the third century AD, in the, in the census that was done, uh, the Christian church was about 30,000 people because they categorized people according to their religion. The church was about 30,000 people and they were supporting 3,000 widows because a whole lot of the pagan widows have been, when they got too old to be useful to the family, they just got thrown out on the street. Don't you love your mama? No, not really. Why should I? Love? My mother? Who, who invented that idea? And so here the, the, the widows would be thrown out on the street and the church would take them in. Typical pagan family in third century Alexandria, Egypt had six or seven kids. One of them was a girl. The rest were all boys. Well, how strange is that? Well, that's because most of the girl babies were put out on the side of the road or just thrown in the Nile River. Girls aren't going to benefit us financially in days to come. They would keep a girl just for fashion's sake. And The Christian church was adopting those that they could, that they could save, they were saving, and adopting into their families. Wives, 
submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In our culture, what's the typical response to that? <gasps> Male chauvinist pig! God created Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then he created Eve out of his side. As St. Augustine put it, he didn't create her out of his head to have lordship over him. He didn't take a bone out of his foot so that he would step on her. He took the rib out of his side to indicate that he was to be her protector and provider under his arm. That's what St. Augustine of Hippo said, and he had it exactly right. And that's the way it is. He is to be the leader, protector, and the fall took place because Adam dropped the ball at his first opportunity. He failed, but that doesn't mean that we men don't carry that responsibility and that our wives, what should Eve have done as the serpent was speaking to her? Adam was standing right there. How do we know that? Because after she ate the the fruit, she said, oh, here, why don't you try this? He was standing there the whole time. What ought Eve to have done? She should have turned to him and said, well, Adam, you're the one that God spoke to about this whole situation. Why don't you deal with this fellow? Adam failed and she failed. And it was when Adam ate that their eyes were opened, and that's why in Adam, not in Eve, in Adam all die. He bears the responsibility. Wives, your husband bears the responsibility. Let him have it. (laughs) Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord gave him to you for this purpose, to protect you. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. We, as a body of people, are the bride of Christ. He is our protector. We are to submit to him. Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Is your husband always going to be right? No. But Jesus is part of the process to protect you from his ineptitude. And if he is going to be trained to do a better job, this is part of the process. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably please blow your. You know what, folks? Men and women are not the same. Now, I, now you all chuckled at that. Is our culture chuckling at? No, our culture is saying no. We are exactly the same. The only difference between men and women is the plumbing. That's it. How stupid can you be? <sighs> Get out of here. And yet, okay, guys, plug your ears. I'm just speaking to the ladies here. Ladies, your husband isn't just a woman with different plumbing. Okay, now, ladies, you plug your ears. You guys, if you can hear me, unplug your ears. The woman isn't a man with different plumbing. The emotional design of men 
and the emotional design of women are different. They're, we're different. We don't see the world. We don't react to the world typically in the same way. We may all understand what the facts are, but we don't handle those facts with the same emotional grid. Husbands love your wives. Women breathe love. I mean, if a man or a child says, to a man says to his wife or a child says to his mama, I love you, there is nothing that will cause elation in a female like being loved. And having that ex- expressed either by words or by actions, I love you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. He defended us. He brought us to a place we otherwise couldn't possibly. He borrow from the Holy Spirit's Sunday school lesson. He reconciled us to God. He did for us what we couldn't have made happen for ourselves. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, set her apart, and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. As we heard the word, heard the word, heard the word, it had a powerful Holy Spirit effect that cleansed us, allowed us to see things as they really were, and energized us to be able to repent and turn to Christ. It wouldn't have happened otherwise. That he might, he did this, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. And Satan stands at our right shoulder telling us how ugly and awful and vile we are. And Jesus says, ain't so. I made it not so. I have cleansed you. Don't believe Lucifer. Believe me. And I've got an empty tomb I can point to that says, I'm telling you the truth. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Sacrificially, he who loves his wife loves himself. Guys, you want to do yourself a gigantic favor? Love your wife because all of a sudden things will start to happen you're going oh hey I didn't know that cool thing would happen oh this is a side benefit I wasn't expecting so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church He nourishes us. He feeds us. He cherishes us. He dotes on us. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Will he defend us? When somebody touches us to harm us, they just hit Jesus. 
They thought they were hitting us. Oh, no, 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 no. They were hitting the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and he will respond. For this reason, a man shall leave his father. Back up to verse 34. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And so Jesus, or excuse me, yeah, I can say Jesus through Paul's pen, has just spent several verses addressing, instructing, and rebuking husbands. He's got one simple sentence for the ladies. Well, he's actually told them to submit to us, but then he beats us up, (laughs) but drives us to wisdom where we can experience blessing. But he says this, Nevertheless, each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And listen to this, And let the wife see that she loves her husband. Is that what it says? respects her husband ladies you breathe you love I mean the word love is just your that's what you want men are not wired the same way as you you want a man who will defend you provide for you you walk up to that man and you look him in the eye and you say I admire what you just did. I really respect who you are as a man. You will have just created a warrior. You will have just created someone who will throw himself in front of a moving train to save your life. And I am not exaggerating at all. Men hunger for respect. And if you respect your husband, ladies, you will get an outcome that will shock you. And I am not exaggerating. Wives, respect your husbands. You've got a problem, marriage. Men love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands and don't wait for him to say, I love you first. Say, I respect you, I admire you before he ever says those words. Husbands, don't wait for her to say, I admire and respect you. You say to her, I love you and I will die for you. I will do everything I can to provide for you. Whether she has said those words to you or not, you do it. That's God's wisdom. 
I think we're going to stop here. <laughs> the mind cannot in absorb more than the seat can endure. I'm aware of this terrible reality. Let's pray. Lord, please help us to wise up. I'm asking for every person in this room that the Holy Spirit will not let us forget what he confronted us with this morning and that we would walk in that word we all hate, obedience, that we would obey you. Not just say, oh, that's good thinking, or, but that we would actually do it. And that we would get, like our Lord Jesus, wise and become imitators of him. We ask this of you, mighty King Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.